Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Hard Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. This is the 100th episode of the podcast. In this edition, I'm going to stay local for my 100th episode. As I'll bring on director James Lamont and Patrick and Ashes from Throwdown Thursday to talk about it came from the 508's latest project. Beneath the Red Umbrella, which is an audio serial podcast, which you can find on Spotify and iHeartRadio. That will be next segment. But first, I want to reflect on 100 episodes, as I never thought I would get to this milestone here on this podcast. Seriously, because personally, for me, I'm one of those people that just gives up at pretty much everything except this podcast. As I've been doing this podcast for almost five years now, and we finally got to 100 episodes. I know, it took a while, but we finally hit the 100th episode milestone here on the podcast. And it's been fun. I enjoy this. And I will be continuing to do more episodes of this solo podcast. As this is fun. As I started back in 2018 as Anthony T's Horror Show. Over the years it's grown into adding wrestling to this podcast. I know we haven't gotten much wrestling lately. But I'm trying to change that for future episodes. Probably starting... Either next episode or most definitely the first episode in August. As I'll be reviewing WWE SummerSlam 2023. But I'm hopefully going to get more wrestling into this podcast. As I've been lacking on that lately. So that's one of my goals for the next 100 episodes. Get more wrestling into this podcast. And continue bringing entertainment like every two, three weeks. As I want to get to at least 200 episodes. Hopefully it doesn't take me nearly five years to get there. But I will try my best to get to 200 episodes. Now with that, I will be back with my guests. James Lamont, Patrick and Ashes from Throwdown Thursday. As we're going to talk about the serial horror podcast Beneath the Red Umbrella. Which is definitely worth listening to if you have iHeartRadio or Spotify. As this is a very good podcast to check out. And we'll talk about that on the other side. Welcome to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast where the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. When you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. 
And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back to NFT's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm here with director James Lamont in Patrick and Ashes from Throwdown Thursday Podcast as they're all involved with a new project called Beneath the Right Umbrella, which is a audio podcast produced by It Came from the 508 Productions. How is everyone doing today? Brad. James, I'm going to start with you since this is your project. Okay. How did Beneath the Red Umbrella come about? Well, it was, uh, it was a product of uh, a couple of bad things and a couple of good things. Bad things. Um, our feature film that we were crowdfunding had a bit of a financial deadlock. And while I was waiting for that to get sorted out with the IRS, kind of had nothing to do. So, and then a pandemic also. You know, I don't know if you knew that. We had a pandemic. And during the pandemic, I had nothing to do. So what I did was I had all these stories sitting around that I wrote during the pandemic. And I was trying to think of a way to utilize them without having to really worry about going out and shooting because I just wasn't sure when things were going to go down with the feature, um, when things were going to happen. So it was like, I can't shoot any of this right now. I don't have time or potentially don't have time to plan out a whole movie, but what can I do with them? And I started to think about all the horror podcasts, like the storytelling podcasts that I'd been listening to throughout the pandemic and so on and so forth. And I'm like, what if we did something like that? However, in true it came from the 508 fashion, we couldn't just do something like that. We had to do something like that times 10 turned up to 11 with all these sound effects and all this wild stuff. And I pitched it to the core team, which includes our my lovely co-guests tonight, Patrick and Ashes. And everybody was in love with the idea, and they said, let's do this. And so we did. And we didn't really know how it was going to turn out or what was going to come of it, but the response has been phenomenal. And if you're listening to this and you have been listening to Blue Neat the Red Umbrella, thank you so much for that. For those who haven't been listening to this podcast, tell everyone about the podcast. Well... It's an immersive horror audio experience. It's not necessarily just somebody telling you stories. It's someone drawing you into the story. You're being told the story as the story is unfolding. So there's actors, there's sound effects, there's a full score. 
I highly advise that people listen to it on either headphones or like in a quiet room with just like speakers going and just kind of let it soak in because it's, it's one of those things where there's so many nuances to it that you might miss something if you just like have it on as background noise or something like that, which is fine if that's what you're just going for. But this is something that's supposed to be, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but it's meant to be savored. It's a horror audio podcast unlike anything you've ever heard before. Period. Now, this reminds me of all those old radio-style podcasts from the old days. Mm-hmm. Were you a fan of those? Um, honestly, not really. Uh, serial podcasts have never really been my thing. Um, I only just got into storytelling audio storytelling in like the last couple of years um listening to some of the newer stuff that's come out and being like but mostly just in the sense of like i'm listening to this and it's good but like there's 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 something more that can be done here not that anybody's doing a specifically bad job just that i'm saying like we could there's a way to take this to another level beyond what you know people are you are usually doing and that's why it's such a curated small season. That's why there's only six episodes, because I want it to be hyper-focused and you know, curated to some degree. Tell me about each episode in the series. Okay. Well, we know both know I can't go into spoiler town now, Anthony. I know, but just tell, like, episodes in a brief description. Let me see if I can do a spoiler-free version of this. Episode one is called The Confession, and it is about a man named Martin DuPont who wakes up in a police interrogation room covered in blood, and he doesn't know why. And the two detectives sitting across from him at the table are demanding he confess to a crime he doesn't remember committing. Episode two, Dispatch, is about... A police dispatcher who, un, in one of the most boring, run-of-the-mill small towns in the middle of, like, rural Connecticut you could think of, nothing ever happens there until something comes out over her radio and something does happen there. And it's very bad. Episode three is called The Grim. Uh, and... In the Grimm, a mafia enforcer has to come to terms with the fact that he has probably what is the worst curse of all time. He knows exactly when he is going to die. Episode 4, a personal favorite of this particular group that we have with us here for (laughs) no reasons other than the fact that they acted in it. Love Agoraphobic is about a shut-in couple, married couple, that are more afraid of what's out their door, outside their door than what's in their own heads. That's the best way I think I could word that. Brackish water, I can't do it, man. There's no way to explain brackish water. You just have to hear brackish water and experience brackish water. <laughs> and um, let's just say worst fishing trip ever. Ever. Did you ask nicely 
is the sixth chapter in Beneath the Red Umbrella, and this is the one that I really, really, really can't spoil, because it's the finale, but it is about a very cruel woman, a very, very unfortunate group of her servants, and a very weird storm. And that's about all I can say without spoiling any of the fun. That is the best way I could word it. James, you play multiple roles in this series. Tell me about them. Well, um, it was mostly about out of necessity more than anything. Um, because this was a new idea. And I got, I got like our core group involved, but I kind of ran out of people and I'm not afraid to say I was a little anxious to like approach people and ask them to be on it. It's just like, oh, this is a wild new thing and I don't know what it's going to do or how good it's going to be, but we're going to try it. And it just seemed like really like, I don't know, the idea of adding more people just made me more nervous. There was already 25 people in the episodes anyway, but so I kind of looked at this like group of small parts I had left and said, okay, well, I guess I could try. And I've never acted a day in my life that, that I, I've never, it was never something that ever struck me as a thing I wanted to do, but I figured I want to get this done. So I'm going to give it a shot. And then after I did Martin in the first episode, I listened back to it and I was like, Wow, not to toot my own horn, but that was pretty damn good. Um, okay, maybe I can try it again. And if you listen over the series, like, all the parts, I feel like they get better and better. Because I feel like I've gotten more and more confident as as a voice actor along the way. But Martin's the one I'm definitely most proud of. I feel like that was the most emotional and um difficult of, of, of the bunch to do. So, And it was the first one I did, so there you go. <laughs> Patrick and Ashes, how did you become involved with the project? You want to take this one? Uh, sure. So, um, James asked nicely. <laughs> James asked nicely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the best kind of friends to have are creative types who want to include you in their projects. Uh, and the fact that James, for some reason, sees something in myself and in Patrick and wants to include us in these projects that he's so passionate about. I mean, he could say jump and I would say how high at this point, literally. Um, I, I, I will do anything James asks of me uh, within reason, but for the most part, anything he asks of me um, at this point, because I just admire his creativity so much so he asked uh, if we would lend our our voices to these characters he gave us scripts and allowed us to just kind of go with it was this the first time that you and patrick ever acted in a project uh, myself no um i have a theater background so I have been on stage pretty much since I could walk and talk. Um, I haven't acted in a while. So this was kind of like dipping my toes back into the waters mm -hmm. of the acting world, which, you know, really just I thought it was going to scratch an itch. 
And what it did was it just made it even worse. So now I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to put myself out there and, uh, looking for other projects and for other ventures to, to be a part of. Um, but it was my first real foray into voice acting. So that was different. That's not entirely true because we worked together a couple of times as the voices of uh, Will Mouse and Wilton the Darklings on the set of uh, The Other Side of Midnight, which is still in development. What was it like doing voice acting? I think it's easier uh, a bit than uh, acting in front of a camera simply because you're not worried about, you know, any odd, like, ticks that you might have, like, you know, I'm using my hands too much and I'm obscuring my face or I'm making a dumb face while I'm, you know, you know, reading this line or I'm doing a weird behavior that, like, wouldn't translate well to film. Like, it really gives you the, the, the freedom to just kind of really like be as wild and weird as you want when you're doing this particular thing. Like my character in the grim, like for that, I was like my posture while I was doing that was uh very stereotypical. And like, if I were to try to do that for a, uh, for a film, uh, I don't think it would fly. It's like, you're just, you know, I was basically being a caricature of a character um, as far as like how I was you know, behaving physically. So I think that's a little different for me. Ashes, what do you think? So I found voice acting to be definitely more difficult than full body acting because you don't have the ability to convey these emotions using your body language. It's just your voice. So when you have to, you know, convey this whole, you know, so I, I voice Eleanor, um, in the fourth chapter called, uh, love agoraphobic. And she is just kind of going off, uh, the deep end, you kind of see her, uh, slowly delve into insanity even more so than she already is, uh, while trying to maintain that she's fine. So, you know, if I were to do that in front of an audience, I could, you know, my hands could be shaking as my voice is completely fine. And you would say, Oh, Hey, clearly there's something wrong with this woman. Um, doing an audio drama like this, you don't have the ability to do that. So you kind of have to make your voice have this tremble to it while trying to, you know, sound like you're okay. And it's just, uh, it's, it was really interesting and, um, not necessarily difficult, but to kind of bring myself to this place that I hadn't been before, you know, and, uh, I think it kind of made me stronger as an actor and it gave me some tools that I will definitely take with me into other, other roles and other projects down the line. James, besides Patrick and Ash's 
What was the casting process like as you have a lot of local filmmakers a part in this project? Um, honestly, for the first time in my life, I cannot, I can see that the casting for something was failing upwards. Uh, <laughs> it, um, it just kind of fell into place. Uh, I, I wish I could say I had a method or a plan or something like that, but like, this was so unproven and, you know, like we've done films, so it, it's pretty easy for me to, not to, you know, talk myself up or anything, but it's pretty easy for me as far as like in our local area to just walk up to somebody and say, Hey, you want to be in my movie? And they're going to go, yeah, but Hey, you want to be in my immersive audio harp experience podcast? You know, you're going to get a couple more side eyes because you've never done that before. So really it was just like, I found the people that were closest to us, which is the, uh, the entire cast of the feature film that we're working on right now. It was involved immediately, and I love them for it. Uh, the entire cast of my podcast, of my other podcast, The Dead Kids of Derry, that was an easy layup, too, because I was just like, hey, you guys want to come do this thing? And they're like, yeah. And then it was just a matter of really just putting the tumblers in the slots of the locks of where people were going to go. And that was harder. Don't get me wrong. That was more of a, okay, so who would make this work? Who wouldn't make this work? Who do I see as this? And that's where it became more of like film direct, like film casting. Because it, then it became, is this the voice I want to hear for that rather than is this the face I want to see for that? You know what I mean? But, um, it was pretty, it wasn't a horrible process. It was just more chaotic than I'm used to as far as the casting process goes. What was it like working with other people, James? Because usually you work with the same people over and over again. Ooh, how do I say this diplomatically? Refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was wonderful. Um, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, in addition to my mainstays like Bob and Erica and Dan and, you know, my, my, the Eli Roths to my Tarantinos, if you will. Um, being able to work with these two wonderful, talented people that are in the, in this episode with us right now was it was a treat in itself. But everybody, everybody, every I, I've said this on every interview, and I'm just gonna keep saying it. Filmmakers, playwrights, whoever's listening to this thing that's in the like indie horror scene in our area, go listen to Red Umbrella. Listen to these people destroy those parts. Absolutely kill it in every way, shape, and form. And then hire them. They're the best you're going to get. They're the best you are going to get in this area. Hands down. Everybody. It's nothing but the truth, Patrick. Nothing but the truth. You guys, the Mendels, Dan, Erica, Sherry Lee, um... Chandra, Ashley, God, I wish I could just remember. It's really hard to remember everybody's name on the spot. But everybody in those credits just killed it. They killed it. They came in, they understood the assignment, and they killed it. Now, is that a credit to my casting or is it a credit to their talent? I think it's a little bit of column A, column B, but it doesn't matter because they're just that good. And everybody should look at them seriously for whatever parts they have 
up their sleeves because they're incredible. They are. They're all incredible. This Beneath the Red Umbrella would not be what it is if they weren't that good. Period. This is for all three of you. What was the recording process like? <laughs> Who wants to take that one first? I'll go with that one. Um, it was interesting. It was definitely much different than I expected. Um, what's wild is you can't tell from, uh, <clears throat> like, you know, especially in episode four, uh, Love Agoraphobic that Ashes and I were in, some of the conversation that takes place you would think that we were all in the same room together, but we are not. Like, we did, you know, Ashes did her lines, I did my lines, and everybody else did their own lines separately, and then it was edited together by James. So it was, despite how it sounds, like, none of us were ever in the same room together. I mean, Ashes and I were, because we live in the same place, so... To not be in the same place would be, would have been more of a challenge. But having, uh, like listening back to it, it sounds like we're all in the same room, which I think is uh, a testament not only to the way, uh, James directed everyone to do their lines, but how they did their lines and then, uh, the way James edited it all together. Like I think that's, um, that's the biggest thing. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate that. Ashes, you want to go? Because I have a very different answer than you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, from from my perspective, the recording process was a lot easier than what I had envisioned it being, uh, and that's partially due to the fact that James has a trust the process approach to certain things, and he just let us go. Um, you know, gave. You know, I just, I asked for a minute just to kind of get into, into character and let him know when I was, I was ready. And then we just went with it. And it was what, maybe two takes, I believe, just because, you know, you want, you want two takes just to be on the safe side. Um, and then that was it. It was a lot quicker and smoother than I, I had anticipated. Um, and again, it's, it's partially because I think you know, James will allow people to interpret things and, you know, he trusts the people who he gives these characters to, to interpret, you know, his words in their own way. Um, and then, you know, whatever they give him, like, it's just, it's a whole trust the process thing that he does. And I, I appreciate him for that. You gotta, you, you gotta, to truly get a performance, a good performance out of an actor, you've gotta let them find it. I, I firmly believe this. I know a lot of directors that rule with an iron fist and say, this is, it's my way or the highway. But I feel like you're never gonna get the best performance that an actor could give you if you don't let them find it on their own and then guide it after the fact to be what you need it to be. It's much easier to take what they've created out of your character and then bring it back into that space and go, okay, well, here's where we need to steer it. You know what I mean? Rather than fighting them 
on the character that they've created and saying, no, I want it this way. Let's see what we can come up together. It's a very collaborative process. Um, and that's always how I work. That's how I work with the films. That's how I'm good. That's how I work with Red Umbrella. It's just my, it's just, it's the way I do this. And I feel like it gets you, in the end, it gets you a better performance. It, it does. I, it might not be for everybody, but it works for us. And that's what matters. And the results speak for themselves. As far as the recording process for me goes, on my end, it was chaos. <laughs> it was absolute insanity. Um, luckily, PJ and Ashes live together, and they have the same Zoom that we could all record over to do it. But there were some cases, man, where people were recording episodes and they in the same Zoom call, and they weren't even in the same episode together. Like, people are recording for one episode and then somebody else is doing lines from another episode and they're like, wait, that wasn't in there. I'm like, this is a different episode. Shut up. <laughs> it was just, it was pandemonium. It was, it was nuts. But the hardest part, and Ash has touched on it a little bit, was keeping all of that conversation that PJ's talking about how everything syncs up so well. I had to keep that all straight somehow. I, nobody saw it, but I had a notebook about that fat sitting on the side of me every time we recorded with little notes. <laughs> they were like, okay, they said it this way, they said it like this, okay, we need them to react this way, all right, great, awesome. Because I, I had to, I had no way, no way in hell of ever being able to keep it all straight unless I wrote it all down after we recorded. It was, it was, it was, it was, I loved it, don't get me wrong, I'm saying it's like, it's chaos, like it's a bad thing. No, I think, I think the chaos made it even better, at least on my end. This is when I that this is when I thrive. When I have to do like seven things at the same time, like that's 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 where I'm in my element. It's fun. James Patrick, what was it like having to change the way you approached your characters for each episode in terms of vocals as you play different characters? In more than one episode. Yeah, me and PJ are both kind of chameleons on the, uh, in these episodes, aren't we? You want to go first, PJ, or? Yeah, I'll, uh, <clears throat> what's funny is, you know, I've, I've noticed that a lot of times, uh, when I'm doing different voices, you know, especially if I'm just screwing around on the podcast, like, most of my voices devolve into John Travolta. Uh, no matter no matter what I'm trying to no they do no matter what I'm trying to do it always devolves into John Travolta um the the thing was like the in the grim when I play the mafia guy like it took a few tries so I was like let me try this and I was like I didn't even wait for James to tell me that it was terrible I was like no that's no good he was like yeah it was bad um it was just too, it was too ter- stereotypical. But again, we, we just, uh, were hanging out with Steve Van Sampson recently and he, he told me, he's like, yeah, listening to these episodes, I could tell in the grim and, you know, in the main, the main voice that I did in, uh, uh, Love Agoraphobic. He's like, yeah, I can tell that was you. But he said he had no idea that I played Rory the neighbor. And I was like, you killed that's it. awesome. Like, I was basically just doing my impression of, you know, the old SNL skit of Bill Swirsky's super fans. 
Yeah, um, <laughs> that's all I was doing. It was so it, good. He said it, he, you know, he didn't have any idea that that was me. And, like, that's kind of what I was going for. Like, that's, you know, I've watched a lot of different voice actors and, you know, like, how they get into their, their performances. And after a while, like, you're listening to someone, you're like, okay, that's Dan Castellaneta. Like, even when he's not Homer Simpson or, or Grandpa or Krusty, it's like, okay, that's that's Dan Castellaneta. That's Hank Azaria. That's, you know, uh, Billy West. Like, you can tell who certain people are because they have, like, certain, like, nuances that they always bring. The one guy that I always thought was the most incredible uh, was Mel Blank, and I just shared a video the other day of him on Johnny Carson doing his different voices. He has over 400 different distinct voices that he would do. Like, he's basically every Looney Tunes character there is. Which, to me, is insane, because they're all vastly different. But still, at that deep, like, core level, like, if you're listening to it, like, Okay, Sylvester does have a little bit of Yosemite Sam in it. You know, Tweety has a little bit of Bugs Bunny in it. Okay, like, you can, so you can tell it's the same guy. But after a while, uh, you know, that's just how it is. Like, you can only change your voice so much. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was just, how can I disguise myself, you know, but also be true to the character? That to me was my my biggest goal. That's I mean that's the trickiest part of it all. Um, like I said, like most of my most of the acting I did for the series was out of necessity more so than me just wanting to be in every episode. Um, I mean I already narrate the damn thing. That wasn't that wasn't exactly what I was <laughs> thinking of when I started doing it. I was just just shit. I need somebody to do this and um. Yeah, but no, I, I just just to kind of piggyback off what Patrick Patrick just said, it's I don't think it's like the easiest thing to make all of the voices, but it had to happen that way because that was where I was coming from again was, was a place of necessity. It was like if I just do my voice in every episode, it's gonna sound like oh there's James again. It's gonna break the immersion. It would have, it would have spoiled the whole, the whole shebang. So I had to come up with some voices for stuff. And really, um, my, my motivation was far less original with, with where my voices came from. Like, in, in episode two, it was like, oh, uh, I, I, I guess I'm gonna make this cop a hillbilly. So it was basically just me trying to impersonate Cletus from The Simpsons. And, uh, <laughs> Then in uh, episode <laughs> three, the waiter, it was just again, it was just me trying to be um, what the hell is it? It was an old cartoon, this character named Chet Wilson. Yeah, I was trying to be that guy. And then uh, <laughs> in episode four with the doctor, um, I, I tried and failed miserably to impersonate Louis Skolnick from. Um, Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, but what ended up at the other end was something completely different from that, so it worked. 
But yeah, no, I uh, far far less creative than Patrick. I was just I was just like I'm just gonna fake to be other people until you know they don't think it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to a couple episodes in the series. First off, one of the best episodes I think this series had was Chapter Two Dispatch. James, how did you come up with the story? Oh man. Um well I mean there's not much of a surprise to to this one. Um I just didn't think zombies were scary anymore. I, I feel like we've gotten to a place where zombies when I hear somebody saying, Oh, there's a new zombie thing, I just like, I'm immediately just I tune out. I don't care. Um I feel like zombies were played out. But that was that was kinda like a dare to me. That I made to myself. And I pulled out this two-page treatment from my pile of pandemic stories called Dispatch. And it was about a police dispatcher, and it was about something horrible happening and her being trapped at the station and the radio being the only thing between her and finding out what's going on. Then I thought about it a little bit more, and I said, what if this was zombies? You know what? I bet we can make this scary. And the end result was pretty damn scary. So I think we did okay. Yeah, it was. Because when, when I think of Dispatch, I would think it'd be dealing with a serial killer or something like that. Originally, it was. Originally, it, it, was, it was somebody killing cops and calling into the station on the, on the Dispatch radio from, from the radios. It was calling the Dispatcher. And the terror of it was he was getting closer to her. Every person was a little bit closer to her. And, um, but she had no way out of the station because it was like the middle of a snowstorm and like things. It was a cool idea, but I thought that when I put the zombies into the same context that they were ever closer, all hell breaks loose. And I just thought that that was a really cool way to rethink zombie horror and, and make it in a, in, in a scary way. And really like the dispatch radio thing, like that wouldn't work as a movie. I don't think that would work as a book. That was something that immediately when I first started to curate the episodes, it was one of the first ones I picked out. Cause I was like, that will play out awesome as an audio play because it's all over a radio. What was like trying to get the radio effects in the creepy sound effects for that episode? Um, my background initially when I first started making art and all that stuff was sound engineering. It was, it was, I was a musician. So that stuff actually, I have this bevy of knowledge chilling in the back of my head that I haven't used in years because of this stuff. And I'm just applying it in a different way. So really a lot of that stuff was uh, pretty easy. It wasn't that hard, but I did find a really great effect bank called production crate. That was licensed sound effects that I didn't have to go out and make on my own or like, you know, it just saved me a lot of time. And I licensed a bunch of stuff from them and a lot of the radio effects are me manipulating their original effects to fit my purposes. How did you find the lead actress for that story? As she did a great job with the way she performed her character as it was very key in making the story work. As an audio story. 
Um, Alyssa, I mean, she's our head, she's one of our lead makeups on the, um, on the feature. Uh, she's a great friend. She helps us out with con boots. I mean, she's always, she's, she's, it came from the 508 through and through. She's been more behind the scenes than the other guys like Erica and Dan and stuff, but she's, she's just as much in the mix. Um, <clears throat> so she's always been here and it's just, it was another one of those, it was like, Ashes and Patrick situation where it's like, well, we've never done this before, but let's give it a go. Let's give it a shot. And I had a feeling. I had a feeling that Alyssa would be able to bring what it was. But I would like to also give a shout out to Ryan Corrigan, who played the sheriff, who played the captain. I don't think it would have worked as well if they did not play off each other so well in the episode. You know what I mean? Like, they both did such a good job, which made, but instead of, like, canceling each other out, like, some, if you get too hammy of a performance, can cancel each other out a bit. These just elevated each other. It just made it that much more great. But, no, I, I completely agree. I, Alyssa was amazing in the episode. She did such a fantastic job. Yeah, no, I want to kind of piggyback onto that, because Alyssa is the, uh, one of two uh, characters that I have in my upcoming film. So, just want to throw that out there. Very exciting, very exciting stuff. So excited to see this happen, Patrick. You have no idea. You have no idea. Yeah, as I thought, the performances in that one was very good. Mm. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, well, you'll be seeing more of them real soon. Ominous. Mm-hmm. Moving on to another story, Chapter 4, Love Agoraphobia. Mm. James, how do you come up with this story as this has eerie ties to the COVID-19 pandemic as the main character is afraid of getting sick all the time? Well, okay, gonna get a little personal here. I, I, I don't, I've never said this to anybody, but, um, about halfway through the pandemic, I had kind of a physical and mental breakdown of some sort. And uh I was kind of Eleanor for a little while. That was that was me. I, I was I was afraid to leave the house. I um I went a little batty. Uh mental health problems. They they happen. Um especially during those times because everything was so weird and scary and things. So it was, it was pretty easy for me to associate that, but, um, no, that was, that was my way out. That was, I, I, that, that's a generally when I write, it's either because I had a really, really, really great idea or I have some shit to work out. And love agoraphobic was definitely the latter. Um, I, did not do well in isolation, and I still don't do well in isolation. <laughs> but that was my path out. That was uh, love agoraphobic was the story I wrote to remind myself that the world isn't all that scary, and being stuck inside is far scarier. Jay, was the filming of the recording in this episode different? Considering he had both Ashes and Patrick as their couple? Um, 
it was it was a little bit different because we were all on the same Zoom call, but we still handled it the exact same way. Um, they still took turns recording. They didn't record on top of each other or any of that stuff. So it was, but it was different, but it was also not different. If that makes sense. Ashes, tell everyone about your character, Eleanor. So Eleanor is this very delightful woman who um, has really allowed herself to be completely overcome by her biggest fears and finds herself really living inside of her head and uh, believing that the voices are real and really distancing herself from everybody, everybody except her spouse. What was it like playing a character like that? So, um, I have a, uh, I have a lot of untherapized trauma kind of tucked away in this Rolodex that I keep, you know, in, in the, in the back of my mind, um, that, uh, I can pull out from time to time. But, you know, similar, similar to James, a lot of people don't know this, but I deal with anxiety on a daily basis. I am a very anxious person. I am also unmedicated. I choose to deal with it in a, in a more holistic, you know, kind of, kind of way. Uh, so I just kind of allowed myself to, you know, after reading the story, reading the script and kind of processing, you know, okay, how do I want to play this character? What do I want to, you know, what do I want? What do I personally want to bring to the table to bring this character to life? And I really allowed myself to just kind of tap into this unprocessed trauma that I have. Um, you know, it, it, not necessarily what Eleanor is going through, but, you know, parallel to it. And during the pandemic, I did at one point find myself not only, uh, uh, I'll say afraid for lack of better word, afraid for myself, afraid for some other people around me, uh, being part of the minority who was at risk. You know, if I, I'm, I'm asthmatic, so, you know, there's this whole, especially towards the beginning, where nobody really knew uh, what it was or what exactly the <laughs> symptoms were or what those symptoms could cause to those who had, you know, predispositions to, to other things. So there was a point where, I was terrified, you know, um, because uh, terrified of the unknown. So I allowed myself to kind of bring myself back to that place. And, you know, I think then that's kind of where Eleanor comes from. Was it tough playing the character considering that you had to carry the entire episode? Um, no, because I love being the center of attention. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I was going to say, don't threaten her with a good time. No, I, uh, I honestly, um, I felt honored with the fact that James trusted me to, you know, bring this character to life and, you know, 
be the main focal point of, of this entire episode. So if anything, I wanted to do the best job that I possibly could because he trusted me with this, with this character. Um, no, I honestly, like, I loved the opportunity. The stuff that I do, I'm, I'm a very campy, funny person. I like to keep it light. So the fact that I had the opportunity to really kind of go deep into this headspace and bring this character who is just, she is, she is really going through it and she is, uh, she is, she is a piece of work. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, to, to have the opportunity to bring her to life in that way, uh, it was, it was, it was awesome kind of being able to bring myself to that place. Patrick, how difficult was it trying to play two roles in the same chapter as you had to come up with different voices for each character? Well, I, it wasn't super difficult. Um, as Ashes can uh, attest, I tend to have like random conversations with myself. So it's almost like, you know, having two different voices. Um, but, when it came to this, like knowing that there were there were going to be two different people, the main challenge for me was to make them sound as different as possible because they're representing two completely different aspects of human nature. So I really wanted to make Rory the neighbor just sound like ridiculous, and um, I was like, what would a guy named Rory sound like? You know, aside from Rory Culkin, like what would what would a guy like that sound like? Uh, what would he be like? And I just wanted, you know, based on what uh, James had written, I just wanted to come up with something that sounded plausible for uh, a concerned neighbor, but also, you know, being a, a writer myself and you know knowing. Uh, kind of what James was going for, trying to kind of offset the other stuff that was going on by kind of injecting some absurdity into the, the character. Like, he's a very stereotypical Chicagoan. He's yeah. like, hey, I'm just here to make sure everything's going all right and you're doing okay, you know, like... Like, that voice is so weird and ridiculous uh, because it's a parody of, you know, the Chicago accent. It kind of heightens everything else and sort of puts the terror at a different angle because you're almost like, like, you know that this is supposed to be, like, a scary thing, but you're listening to this, like, it's like, why is this, he's so out of place. Why does he sound like that? I mean, because her sister, Eleanor's sister, uh, who was, uh, Jesse played her, uh, she was, you know, she sounded like a normal sister, you know, like regular, regular old concerned for your safety type, uh, of person. But Rory was, uh, very different. I also imagined Rory as having, uh, kind of like an unrequited, like, crush on uh on Eleanor. I think that came through. I do. I think that came through <laughs> on, on 
<laughs> I do. I'm yeah. not kidding. Like, it reminded me of the nerdy kid in high school that got to hang out with a really, really hot chick. And she's obviously clueless, but he is, like, in love with her. And mm-hmm. that's the feel. There, there's a feel of that. Like, that, I feel like that really did come through in the part. I do. Okay. If, if only we had chemistry. I know, right? <laughs> If only, I don't know. You know, you might, guys might even be married. Fuck <laughs> me crazy. James, tell me about the haunting score for Beneath the Red Umbrella. Well, that's a mixture of several elements. It's not just one thing or the other. First of all, that lead title theme is, of course, written performed by the brilliant Jeremy Aruda, director of Strawberry Lane, and composer extraordinaire and thankfully he's like my pocket john williams and when i have a crazy idea he's usually down to say yes so that's where that came from and that's all of his brilliance in a nutshell i had nothing to do with that however the score that actually happens over the episode itself a lot of that was me a lot of that was production crate elements that I brought in and put together and edited a certain way to sound different than they originally were. Um, the soundscapes, I thought, I when we first started working on the project, I had, like, three and very, like, key pillars that had to hit. The narration had to work, the acting had to work, and the soundscape had to work. The sound effects and stuff, that was a layup. That's easy. That's easy work. That's, that's, okay, you, somebody's getting hit with something here, you put that noise there. Somebody's stepping on a glass bottle, you put a breaking bottle noise. It's, that's easy stuff. The soundscape is not easy. There's a mood you're trying to capture. There might even be just a mood for a millisecond, a moment, where I, an event, a big event happens, or a character's performance changes, or the twist comes, something. You need to shape those soundscapes and those scores to move that in and whether, and you can use, and you use it to either trick the audience or set the audience up or tell them something's coming. It's so important. It's so vital to the formula of Beneath the Red Umbrella that that stuff got right. And that was probably what took the most time in the editing room was, was making sure that that all worked. And it was a challenge, but between my work, Jeremy's work, and stuff like that, I think we did a pretty good damn job. Um, I think it came out really good, um, as far as that goes. And yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult, but very rewarding. I think it came out very good. James, have you ever considered in acting in any of your own films? Oh, hell no. Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. I'm not a camera guy. I'm not an in-front-of-the-camera guy. We tried that once. I had to play that hillbilly in One Last Kill because the dude that was supposed to come and film for film the part blew, blew it off or whatever. I mean, I don't blame him. We're just some idiots in the woods trying to make a horror movie. Nobody even knew who the hell we were at that point. Um, But, yeah, no, after that, that's that was my one and done. I don't have any interest in being on camera whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Will they be your season two of Beneath the Red Umbrella? I don't think we have a choice. I really don't. I don't think we have a choice. The the, the people have spoken. Um, 
if uh, if this had come out and like five people listened to it and then you know nothing happened, then probably not. I probably wouldn't have done it again. Um, but it is. I can confidently announce and say this had just this morning crossed seven thousand total streams for the entire wow, wow. for the entire wow. series. It is sitting at a five star rating on Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it critically it's an ace con- on the consumer side, it's the second most successful thing we've ever done. We don't have a choice. Season two is inevitable. It, I can't even deny that. It would be pretentious and just really douchey of me to say, well, I don't know, because that's stupid. I mean, we'd be absolutely stupid not to do this again, because it's run away. It's run away beyond our control at this point. How can they find information on Beneath the Red Umbrella? It came from the 508.com. Best place to find it, hands down. On social media? Social media, we got the Beneath the Red Umbrella group on Facebook. Uh, You can check us out. It came from the 508 anywhere, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok. I think that's it. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, yeah, you can just find, and there's links to the stuff everywhere on all of those social media platforms. But the, the, the best one is the Beneath the Red Umbrella group. Cause they get to listen to everything first. So that's the thing that we do when people join the group. It's free to, it's not any exclusive special club. You just request it and you get, and you get added to the Facebook group and you, We'll get the episode a day early when we have season two. When's that going to be? That part I can't answer. I don't know. But, yeah. James, Pat, and Ashes, any upcoming projects on the horizon? Oh, man. Where do we? Oh, you know what? You guys do your part. I'll, <clears throat> I'll make my announcements after that. All right. Well, as I alluded to, uh, I will be directing my first ever short, uh, in the very near future, next couple of weeks. It, uh, I can't say the title of it because it kinda is a spoiler. But, uh, we'll just use the, uh, the working title, uh, Girl Power for, for the moment. Um, it will be featuring, uh, Alyssa, as we mentioned, and, uh, a very new actor, uh, our good friend Old Man Wade. Uh, is going to be playing uh, the the killer, uh, mainly because um, I think he was perfect for the part. And also, uh, there are so few black horror icons. I think, uh, you know, not that I think that, you know, this is going to blow up and turn into be like, oh, man, like, this is the next Candyman, you know. Um, but, you know, I wanted to give people a chance to do something that they'd never gotten an opportunity to, to do because I have been given several opportunities over the last couple of years to do things that I never thought I'd be able to do. So uh, this whole project is uh, basically me trying to show what I can do as a filmmaker, you know, um, with my own work as opposed to just working on other people's stuff which I love doing, 
but you know, I, I feel like I'd like to show folks what I can do. And I, I've gotten some pretty positive, uh, feedback about the fact that I'm going to be doing this. Uh, Ashes is going to be my first AD. Uh, and I, I told her, you know, a lot of people were very surprised that I didn't have her in the lead role. And I was like, well, you know, that's how she knows I love her. I'm not going to have her running back and forth in the hot July sun. Like she can just kind of hang out in the back and, you know, help me, help me direct. And like, she's been very, uh, very good about kind of reining me in already. Cause it's like, Oh, I want to try this and I want to do that. And she's like, you don't have to do everything that you want to do ever on this first project. Like you can, Take your time, like, cause I think you're trying to do too much, you know, for a, cause I want to do like a 30 second trailer and this is only going to be like a five to six minute video. So she's like, you don't need to cram all of this stuff into it. Like you can spread it out and do different things, save this idea for the next project or, you know, the next project, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have, uh, people who want to work with me and, and want to help me out because, uh, if I were to try to rent all this equipment and, you know, do this myself, I don't have the expertise behind the camera uh, to know how to run a camera. I don't know how to, you know, do lighting and everything. Like, I have vague ideas, but not uh, I'm not an expert by any means. So I'm lucky enough to be able to, to do that. I'm also working on a sequel to... Uh, how much do you tip an exorcist? Um, you might have seen one of my, one of my, sh- uh, short stories recently in the Monster Mag put out by Monster Expo. That's what I've got. Uh, Ashes, how about you? Uh, so, well, we recently announced the launch of our new project, uh, Magenta Manor Productions. So our first project will be, uh, filming and producing Patrick's directorial debut. Uh, and while we are doing that, I am in the process of writing my first script. So we'll get his stuff worked away. We'll edit. We'll do the promotions. We'll do all that stuff. That's going to be our the uh, the first release from Magenta Manor, and then the second release will be my project. So in uh, my directorial debut. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Working a lot uh, behind the scenes on some stuff. Um, obviously, we have great things happening at Throwdown Thursday, our podcast, and uh, a couple of other things in the works, too, including a potential cooking show coming end of this year, next year, so stay tuned. A cooking show? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, seeing as we're, we're spilling the, the tea on some stuff here... Um, yes, it is called Nightmare Kitchen and Cocktails. Nightmare being me, Ashes von Nightmare. Um, yeah, so, uh, some of my, I'll be sharing some of my recipes, some of my cocktail recipes and stuff, and, uh, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. So, in the process of kind of getting that together as, as we speak. So a lot of, a lot of things, things up cooking here, so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) I got, I got, I got some stuff, uh, I think. I don't know. Do I have some stuff? I think I have some stuff. Okay, so, Abigail. Just talk about the, uh, big, scary vampire in the room. Abigail is no longer called Abigail. 
Abigail will now be called is the new title of Abigail is Stakes, a New England Vampire Story. That is the name of the feature. It is being produced. Is this okay if I announce this with you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Please do. It is being produced by It Came From The 508 Productions with my subsidiary 508 Red, Gorilla Girls Productions, and Magenta Manor Productions. All is all, we're all going all in on the feature film, um, that I wrote. It's very flattering. I'm very happy about it. Um, we are in the process of putting together our proof of concept. And if all goes well, fingers crossed, we will begin filming September 1st. So there's that. I love it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We ain't stopping now, baby. The red umbrella was just the, you know, just the revving the engine. Now we're going to go. Um, not done. Not done. We have two, two new movies from Jeremy Aruda coming out on It Came From The 508 Direct two weeks from now. Um, that's a first. Nobody's ever heard that before. Uh, let's see. We have two, two new Blu-rays coming out for the Halloween season with, we have two. One is going to be called Painting the Void. It is going to be a collection of all of Jeremy's film work on one disc. Be wild. Now the second one I'm a little more excited about, but that's just because you know I'm I got a bias because I made all of it. We are reissuing a remastered versions of One Last Kill, The Box, and Bro on a single disc as a triple feature. Um, they will be all new, supporting HDR 5.1 surround sound with all new commentary and other little featurettes that I'm working on right now for both up for the disc. It is going to be called The Ties That Bind, the Definitive Editions. And that should be available right around Monster Expo 3D, I'm hoping, for both of those. So that's where I'm hoping to do the big premiere of a lot of this stuff, which I can't announce everything just yet. But I think that's it. Uh, yeah, that's all I can talk about right now. <laughs> well, James, Patrick, and Ashes, thank you for coming on to my podcast again. Absolutely, sir. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having us. You're welcome. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran, and we are the... And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two From Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not going to want to miss the show. For all your social media needs on Anthony T's Power and Wrestling Show, you go to Facebook, Instagram, and 
Bloodshot at ECR Wrestling on Twitter at MIK Media. You can listen and subscribe to Anthony's Power and Wrestling Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other major podcast providers. You can also listen to the show on YouTube at youtube.com slash at Media and docdiscussions.com. What's Anthony T. watching this episode? Well, Anthony T. is watching the remake of Children of the Corn. That's right. They've done another remake of Children of the Corn. And yes, we did not need another remake of Children of the Corn to begin with. But I was willing to be fair and give this film a shot since... I like horror films and everything, and I have to tell you, this was a horrible film. Why did they have to remake this film? We did not need a Texas Chainsaw remake last year. This year, we get a Children of the Corn remake that's been sitting on a shelf for three years. It's not good. Seriously, I don't want to see remakes of films that aren't going to be that good, quite frankly. It's like there's no effort into these remakes. Seriously. I don't get why we're seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Children of the Corn remakes. Those are not usually good. Seriously. But we're getting them. And this was just a horrible film from start to finish, literally. I really was kind of pissed off with this film, quite frankly. And it's like a few times I ever get pissed off at a horror film. I want to give every horror film a chance. But when you start your film... In a disgusting manner, it pissed me off. I'll go into details in the opening scene of this film. It's about where a kid comes out of the cornfield and starts killing people. He pretty much kills an adult. Then he gas children off screen, which is disgusting and deplorable. This is not needed in horror films, people. Scenes like this. I don't want to see scenes like this. This isn't trauma. I don't get it. We're in 2023. Be a little sensitive towards children, please. That was such a disgusting opening. Quite frankly, I thought about shutting off this film. But still, I decided to soldier on with this film and it just got worse from there literally one of the main reasons why this film really sucks quite frankly is there is no build to the scenes at any point in this film they don't do any building sure they may do a little building towards the end of the film but everything else feels tacked on rushed I don't like that in my films. I like to get to know the characters. I like them to be likable. There were not any likable characters here. Writer, director, 
Kurt Weimer's direction here was flat out horrible. Every scene in this film felt bleeping lifeless. I don't know why Weimer decided to write a film where he just wanted to set the scenery taken. That's what it felt like. Because I was bored the entire time. It also helped that his screenplay was flat out bad as well. Seriously. There's like no likable characters in this film. I could not get into any of the characters in this film. It's like every character had one note to them and that's it. One dimensional characters usually make for a very bad film. And this film really has it. As it just was pathetically written badly. In that opening scene too, which I'll go back to, it's disgusting. I don't know why any producer or anybody would greenlit a scene like that given today's climate. I don't want to see that type of brutality. Because... Seeing a bunch of little kids get killed off screen makes me bleeping embarrassed to be a horror fan. Because this should not be in the horror genre at all. That level of brutality. I don't care if you do it on screen or off screen. That has no place in the genre. Quite frankly, why did this film get remade? Seriously, why hasn't Stephen King spoke up about this film? Because literally, this is disgusting. That opening scene is disgusting. And it got worse, throwing in politics into the film as well. With the whole corn farmers struggling backdrop. I support corn farmers. I support hardworking people. But... I don't need politics in my horror film. Seriously. I see why this film really sat on a shelf for a bit, quite frankly. Because this film was just flat out awful. And the ending of this film is atrocious. It felt like it was tacked on. No suspense, no build to the ending. It's like it had two endings. It felt like a David Lynch film... But David Lynch can get away with having two endings. But this film did not need two endings. I don't get this film. Seriously. Kurt Weimer. It just is horrible. Quite frankly, horrible. It's literally the worst film I've seen all year. And I just saw M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. That was horrible. Which I watched on Peacock. I just saw Consecration. That was horrible. What is this, Shudder? Seriously. Out of the bottom four films of the year, three of the films were on Shudder. What is going on with that network this year? Seriously. Last year, they only had one film in my bottom top ten. So far, after 51 films I've seen, they have four films in the bottom 10. Sure, they have three films in my top 10 so far, but four films in my bottom 10 is not good. Especially three in the bottom four. 
What is going on with Shudder this year? Seriously. They're putting out crap from RLJ Entertainment. What is going on with that company? Seriously. Because them and Shudder never put this amount of crap out. And we're only in July, people. We're in July. Screenbox seems like they're the best network right now. Literally. Sure, Shudder has some great films mixed in with the horrible films. But Screenbox only has like one film I've seen that are in the bottom ten. And Shudder almost has half of the bottom ten films. With four. Come on, Shudder. This is supposed to be the best horror network. Not a place where we dump crap like Consecration, Spoonful of Sugar, Nocebo, and the Children of the Corn remake. Because literally, I don't feel like I'm getting my money's worth this year, Shudder. Seriously. Guys gotta step it up with some really good films. Come on. I'm really hoping that VHS film that comes out this year is very good. Literally. But back to Children of the Corn. Don't waste your time with this film. This is deplorable. It's awful. And quite frankly, I don't think there'll be another film that will beat this film for worst film of the year. Then again, I said that last year with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Halloween Ends did it. But it's almost safe to say this is probably going to be the worst film of the year. One star. Don't waste your time with this film. Find some other film to watch. I hope you enjoyed episode 100 of the podcast. For more information on Anthony T's horror and wrestling show, you can go to Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling. You can join the podcast official Facebook group. Just type in Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling in the search engine. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. Along with YouTube.com at FilmIK Media and DocDiscussions.com. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror. This has been a Film Arcade Media production.